Let's open up to the book of Psalms, uh, chapter 17. And this is a, a great psalm that uh, David, uh, he's, remember, it's a song. He prays, but he also does some things. It kind of gives us a balance in life. And what ends up happening is uh, he actually shows us, I think, some keys to victory over the enemy. Now, most of you here tonight, you're Christians, you know the Lord, right? And when you die, you're going to go to heaven because you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. You believe he died on the cross for you. He rose again. And your faith is not just in your head. Your faith is in your heart. And so praise God, you know, one day we'll be home in heaven. But until then, there's work to do. Until then, there's a life to live on, on planet Earth. And what we're going to read tonight in this psalm, in, in Psalm 17, it kind of has a lot to do with that. You know, when I think of David, I think of the, the destiny that he had, the dynasty that he would establish, that eventually he was called to be king. But in the process, there were tests involved. There was a spiritual battle that he was engaged in. He had to obey. He had to pray. I mean, it was something that he had to cooperate with God in, in order to see the plans for his life fulfilled. And I, and I just pray that, that we would know the same is true for us. You know, I don't know what God has for you. I don't know what, what he knit you together for in your mother's womb. But I do know that there is a plan. You know, I think of Jeremiah. It says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. In Psalm 139, it says, before your days were fashioned, God said, I had them all written in my book. You know, what is God's plan for our life? And I think in this psalm right here, it's a, it's a really cool psalm because, uh, again, a few things that we're going to see to stand out. Number one, you got to be praying. The whole psalm is about praying. And then number two, you got to be obeying. There are certain things we're going to see that David does. But then number three, you have to know that you're engaged in a spiritual battle. And, uh, and so let's look at this psalm. When I think of it, we know that David oftentimes is talking about, you know, uh, whether or not he's going to survive physically, right? Because Saul wants to kill him, right? And so I don't know what your theology is on death. I believe, you know, generally speaking, that we can't die until we're done. I believe that no one can take my life or even touch my life without God's permission. And that doesn't mean I don't lock my doors. It doesn't mean that, you know, I don't drive safely or wear a seatbelt or even have a gun. You know, it's okay, you know, to do those things or to have those things. But in, in, even in light of all that, the most important thing is that I trust in God for everything, Right. We're going to see that in tonight's psalm. And the Bible says in Psalm 20, verse 7, that some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. And so we're going to see that again tonight as David's life is on the line. Saul's trying to kill him. He's talking about something that, you know, it's a physical battle, but we would miss the whole point if we didn't know that it was pointing ultimately to a spiritual battle. You guys know how that in the Old Testament, you got the pictures, you got the visuals of what's taking place in the invisible realm. And so here we read in, in Psalm 17 in verse 1. Notice it says, a, a prayer of David. 
Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer, which is not from deceitful lips. And so here we see David prays, and and it's more than a prayer. Uh, He calls it a cry there in verse 1. And these aren't, you know, crocodile tears, whatever that is, right? It's an honest cry. It's a plea for justice. And so we read in verse 2, he says, Let my vindication come from your presence. Let your eyes look on the things that are upright. You know, again, David's praying, he's crying, he's asking for justice. It's something that's sincere. He's asking actually for vindication, which means to clear someone of blame or suspicion, to show or to prove to be right, reasonable, or justified. You see, David knew that his only hope was if God showed up. You know, you got this situation, and we'll see later, Saul comes with 3,000 soldiers to kill him. And, and he knows, you know, well, God, I thought you anointed me to be king, but he doesn't kick back. He prays. It's a sincere prayer. He's asking for vindication. Lord, show Saul, show the, the citizens of Israel that that was never my heart. I didn't want to take his crown. Why is Saul after me? But as he's praying, it's something that we see, and I think hopefully it's something that we all know, that that God is our only hope. And that's why it's so important that you pray. You know, I mean, whatever situation you're going through, I don't know what's going on in your life, you know, nothing too hard for God. So get on your knees. We need God to show up, right? He knows, David knows that if God investigated to see David's integrity, then he would see, and not only would he see David's integrity, he would see the wickedness of the enemy and God would fight for him. You know, when it comes to the the calling of your life and following through with all that God has for you, it's a battle, man. I mean, it'll never happen unless you fight on your knees with integrity faith and then you do your part you you see it all works together it's so cool um notice what we read next in verse three god says you have tested my heart you have visited me in the night you have tried me and have found nothing i have purpose that my health my mouth shall not transgress you know, again in this whole situation david is saying not that he's sinless, but that he's, he's blameless. You know, I mean, he, he checks his heart. He says God checks his heart. And when God checks his heart, he passes the test. And I tell you what, man, that's huge. That's huge. You know, David is an example for us of a man of integrity. You know, he talks about God visiting him you know, in in the night, kind of like a surprise visit, you know. I mean, I don't know what would it would be like if God showed up at your pad, you know, and you weren't ready for him or whatever. And he hears you fighting or whatever. You're doing something weird. You're watching something on TV you shouldn't be watching or whatever, you know. He just says, man, if God shows up even in the night, if he looks in the depths of my heart and the darkness of my house, he will see a man of integrity. That's an example for us. 
you know what, I want you guys to know that by the grace of God, again, we're not sinless, but we can be blameless. We're not perfect, but we can be proper. When God gets a hold of a man by the spirit of God and the word of God and the grace of God, he will change us and make us more and more into the image of God. This is for us. This is for us. This is where David is right here. It's a beautiful place. You know, he, he right here, it's interesting. He says, I have purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. You know, he was determined that not even a single word would come out of his lips that was sinful in any way. You know, and we're going to see as we go through the psalm, you know, David's praying, but there's three things that he does. It's kind of cool. To me, I call them three keys to victories. Number one is, is you got to tame your, your tongue. I have purpose that my mouth shall not transgress. How many of you here would have a different life at home if you were able to tame your tongue? Just out of curiosity, man. You know, the Bible talks about it in James chapter 3 and in First Peter. It says if you want to have a good life, you then let him refrain from speaking evil, you know? You know, when I, when I think of this right here, I'm reminded of the words uh, about, you know, uh, Miriam and, 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 and Aaron, because I think the context here is the same. You know, Saul was after David and David could have just talked smack about Saul. He could have said, you know, derogatory statements and he could have started fighting with his tongue and, you know, just talking about God's king, God's anointed. But he had this incredible integrity about him that he would not say a word against God's anointed. He wouldn't touch God's anointed. And even though Saul didn't deserve it, uh, David respected the office. And in, in the book of Numbers, chapter 12, what had happened was uh, Miriam and Aaron, they spoke against Moses. And, you know, they said, hey, I don't know about this guy and his wife and all that kind of stuff, you know. And then the Lord, he showed up in Numbers chapter 12. And he said in verse 6, hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. But not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. And so God asked them, why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? I mean, God said, you guys should have known better. I mean, that's he's he's the guy that that I talked to. He's the leader here. And, and he said, you should have been afraid to speak against him. And I, and I have that fear in my heart. I would never say a negative word about, about a pastor, especially my pastor. But I also want you guys to know this, that I have that fear in my heart that I would not say a negative word about anybody. About anybody, because that's God's child. And there's something about it. You can, talk, you can ask my wife, man. I mean, I just, to me, you know, you should not say stuff about people. I mean, if you need to, say it to the Lord, you know. But, you know, here we see David, just this man of integrity. He said, I have purpose with my mouth that I won't transgress, you know, with my lips. I mean, David here, basically, 
in, in, in moving towards one day being the, the king and one day fulfilling the calling on his life, something that I think very few people do. To me, it's almost like someone who makes it to the Olympics, kind of like, you know, but it's, it's doable. But, but David here says that, that part of it has to do with his integrity. You know, David basically had nothing to hide. Nothing to hide. His heart was right and his walk was righteous, Warren Worsby said. You must be able to say the same of your heart and walk if you expect God to answer your prayers. And so, you guys, this is a calling for us. It's a calling. Hey, let's grow forward as men and women of God. You know, notice what you read next in verse 4. He says, concerning the works of men, by the word of your lips, I have kept away from the paths of the destroyer. Now, now again, um, this is the second thing that David does. Okay, so David's praying. David's praying. David's praying. Are you praying? No, David's praying. But David's also doing. David's doing. I have purposed to keep my mouth clean. I have kept myself from that path. The path of the world, it's wide, it's broad, leads to destruction. It's easy to get on that road. He said, no, I've kept away from the paths of the destroyer. You know, I believe, again, the backdrop to this would probably be 1 Samuel chapter 24. When you go to that chapter, you'll find that David was there and uh, Saul had brought 3,000 soldiers looking for David hunting him down, wanting to kill him. So David and his guys uh, were hiding in a cave. And then you guys remember the story? You guys remember the story? They, uh, Saul had to go in and do, you know, take care of business, you know. And, uh, and so his guys, David's guys were telling him, now's the time. You can kill him. I mean, God has delivered him into your hands. David, you're innocent. This is just, it's God. Just take care of him right here, man. And, and David you know what he does? You guys remember? He, his conviction, all he does is he just gets a, a little corner of the robe because he later wants to tell him, listen, I had the opportunity to kill you and I wouldn't, I wouldn't take that opportunity. That's what this is right here. As a matter of fact, the NIV translates it this way. Though people tried to bribe me, I have kept myself from the ways of the violent through what your lips have commanded. You know, God, God told David, one day you're going to be king. And I, and I'm going to put you there. I'm going to raise you up. You don't have to do it yourself. And that guy right there, Saul, I put him there and he's going to be there for a season. And when his season is done, I'll take him down. And when David heard the commands of the Lord, he was obedient. You know, the, the path of the destroyer. You know, who, who would have been destroyed if David had done that? David would have. You know, David would have, the sweet psalmist of Israel, the king, the one who would be a picture of Jesus Christ. He would have been destroyed. And of course, we know that's what the enemy wants to do, right? John 10.10, 10, it says, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. And I, and I think that there's a large part of that, like I said earlier, to you, to us as Christians, where God has a plan. And I, and I know you hear me say things probably too much, and forgive me, you know. But I just really believe that with all my heart, that God has a calling on your life. 
You know, the other day I was over at the Grace T. Black Auditorium, the El Money Community Center, and they wanted me to do an invocation for uh, this ceremony that they were having there. And basically what they do quarterly in El Money is they give out rewards to people who have done these amazing things. And, and so I was there and I did the invocation and I sat down and I saw all these people getting rewarded rewarded for amazing things, for their faithfulness, for consistency, you know, as a citizen of Almani. And I, and I thought to myself, I thought, you know, one day we're going to be in heaven and we're going to see something similar. Rewards will be given out to all the citizens of God based on their faithfulness. And so, you know, the destroyer, you know, he wants to a lot of times destroy the call. And, and, and I think that, you know, when I look at someone like Samson, I think that's probably an example of somebody whose his calling was destroyed. Or, or I think of someone like Balaam. This guy was so gifted. And yet, you know, at the end of the day, he was just in it for the money. You know, and, and you think of different people like Demas, Paul said, he has forsaken me having loved this present world. Or, or others, Gehazi, right? The servant of Elisha who ended up with a leprosy. I mean, those are lives, those are examples of individuals whose calling was upon their life. But the devil came in and destroyed their calling. You know, last night I did a, 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 a teaching at a, at a Calvary Chapel not too far from here, whose, whose pastor, I, 22 years ago, started the church. But what ended up happening is he fell into sexual sin and uh, he ended up, you know, having an affair with his son's girlfriend. Can you believe that? I mean, those things, you guys know that happens a lot, huh? So someone else took over the church. The church is doing great. It's not about the pastor. It's about the Lord and the work that he wants to do in the community and in the church. But where is that guy now? He was destroyed. And here David was in this, you know, middle of this temptation and, and the enemy wanted to destroy him. It says right here, concerning the works of men, by the word of your lips, I have kept away from the paths of the destroyer. You know, what we find is that God wants to protect us. And so, you know, I like what David prays in verse 5, uphold my steps in your paths that my footsteps may not slip. You know, David is praying and he's asking for help to stay on track, you know, for that supernatural traction that his feet wouldn't slip. And in verse six, he says, I have I have called upon you for you will hear me, O God, incline your ear to me and hear my speech. Can you see how David is praying? Show your marvelous loving kindness by your right hand, O you who save those who trust in you from those up who rise up against them now again notice the three things that david did besides praying number one i have i have purpose and i'm not going to sin with my words are you guys doing that number two i have kept from the paths of the destroyer you know and then number three right here he says i have called upon you i pray I'm a man of prayer. David was a man of prayer. You know, right here, it's interesting what he says uh, in verse 7. Show me your marvelous loving kindness 
The NIV says, show me the wonders of your great love, your unfailing love. David's saying, Lord, you know, I know your unconditional love for me. And so, Lord, please uh, come show it. Uh, right here, he talks about his right hand. And you guys know that the, the, the right hand in the Bible is a strong hand. It's the strong hand of power. It's the hand with which you would wield your weapon. You know, I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but that's why we shake hands with our right hands. Don't, don't do it with your left hand. That's weird. Sometimes people give their left hand. I'm like, no, don't do that. You're not supposed to do that. Because really, when you were like with a guy in the old school, in the old days, the right hand would be the hand that he would, he would hold his weapon in. And so if you're shaking his hand, then he's not going to, you know, he's not going to stick you with a knife or something, right? I mean, that's kind of the way that we do it. And, and so, you know, David's saying, Lord, show me your love with your right hand. Lord, what I'm asking is for you to show me your, your power. Lord, your strength, your, your, the power, the power of your love. You know, David's praying this right here. Oh, those who, who, you who save those who trust in you. You know, and it's kind of cool. I mean, there's different ways of looking at this, this word trust. I mean, basically, I trust in your love. I believe in God's love. Do you believe in, in God's love? Do you believe that he loves you even though you're all messed up? You're from Mesopotamia. Do you believe that? (laughs) God still loves you even though you messed up today and maybe yesterday or maybe for the last 27 years. He still loves you. Do you trust in his love? I pray that you do because that's the truth. That's why you're here tonight. You know, I trust in your love. I trust in your in your power. You know, David believed in these things. And ultimately, what we see is David believed in God. He trusted in God. And I pray that we would as well. You know, I, I think that when we don't trust in God, then what ends up happening is we become a fearful uh, people, uh, anxious and worried. When we don't believe in God, we don't pray. That's kind of how you can tell whether or not a person really believes in God is if they really pray, you know? And so here's David. He, he really trusted. Now, the word trust, according to the Oxford Dictionary, it says it's a firm belief in one's ability and reliability. A firm belief in their word, their honesty and integrity. We should trust those who are loving toward us and whose actions correspond to their words. We should trust someone we can count on to consistently do what is right. You see, and that's God. You know, all those, that definition, it describes who the Lord is. In light of all that, we know that we can trust in God. You know, years ago, I, I read a really cool book by a guy named Jerry Lewis. No, I'm just joking. Jerry, um, what was his last name? Jerry Bridges. That was right, his name. And, um, and the name of the book is called Trusting God. If, you, if you're interested and you're struggling with that, I encourage you to read the book. But basically, the book has two premises. Number one, God is sovereign. And number two, God is loving. And when you understand those two things, that God loves you and God is on the throne, then it brings you to a place of trusting him. You know, what we see here 
is, is David has Saul and all his soldiers rise up against him. That's what we see again. Notice there in verse 7. Uh, Show me your marvelous loving kindness by your right hand. O you who save those who trust in you from those who rise up uh, against them. And we're going to have that in life. You know, um, maybe you won't see someone like Saul. But there is a spiritual battle going on that, that we can't see. Some of you, it's obvious, man. It's maybe your boss or somebody. I don't know. Somebody's after you. Sometimes you see those things. But more, most of us here, what we're looking at in the Old Testament, it, it physically, literally, visibly, is taking place in the New Testament invisibly. And the enemy, he's rising up against you. And so David is asking for help. You know, one of the things that, that we got to know is that God, God is for us. I love Isaiah fifty four seventeen. It says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue which rises up against you in, in, in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their, and their righteousness is from me says the Lord. You know, I mean, isn't it kind of cool to know that no weapon formed against us will prosper? You know, I was thinking of that passage in Romans 8, and I was wondering if you guys would turn there with me, because I know, you know, we go through things in life, and it's tough. But but the book of Romans here, in, in Romans chapter 8, I want to read with you, beginning in verse 31, it says, what, shall, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? You know the answer to that question? Nobody, man. The only one who can mess up your life is you. Sorry. <laughs> but you know what? Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Pray, you know, try to obey, watch God work to fulfill your calling, whatever that is. The world will throw everything it has at you, but they can't stop you. They can't. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. What that basically says is that we will suffer as Christians. We still go through hard times because we live in a fallen world, fighting fallen angels, and we live in fallen bodies. We're going to go through hard times. Yet, verse 37, in all these things, we are more, then conquers through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, 
nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And you know, when you, when you read that New Testament light, and you're looking at David as he's praying against those who are rising up against him, I tell you what, there's a peace. You know, my, my prayer, and I know the church today, there's a lot in the church that, that unfortunately the world that we live in, you know, they wouldn't come to a midweek service so they wouldn't get into the word or there's some out there, unfortunately, that they're not wanting to be spiritual. But, but if that's something that you have in your heart, you're like, Lord, I, I want this. And God will meet you there. God will deliver you because like I always tell you, you know, we're no match for, for the devil and his demons, but they're no match for God. And that's why we have to pray and fast and obey and seek the Lord and watch him work. You know, notice what we read next in this Psalm in Psalm 17 in verse eight. He says, keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings. Now, the Hebrew word translated apple literally means dark or black. Um, it's translated that way in Proverbs 7, verse 9 and, and twenty twenty. And so, literally, it speaks of the dark part of our eyes. And so, you know, some would simply say that David's praying for God to protect him as he would his own eyes, right? And we all protect our eyes, right? You know, we got our, we got our sunglasses, we got our safety goggles or whatever it might be. Um, to protect us from all these things, ultraviolet rays and stuff. So some say, well, it's just, you know, God, you know, protecting him like he would protect his eyes. But but I think there's more to it. I, I think that if we were to look at the iris, you know, or the, even the pupil of God's eye, which is the dark part of the eye, that we would see a reflection of ourselves. And I, and I think that that's what David's saying. I think we have a couple of pictures here that are kind of cool. That, that's what I'm trying to say. Lord, keep me as the apple of your eye. And so when you look in the eye, you know, you can see your image there. You know, the one on the left is kind of cool because that person's praying. The one on the right, I don't know if you guys can see it from where you're at, but I like it because the person is in the black of the eye. And, and no matter you know, where you are, how far you've gone, how deep things are, how, how much of a struggle it is. You know, God, he's got his eye on you. That's what David is praying. It's kind of cool the way that we learn, you know, to pray biblical truths. You know, he says to keep him under the shadow of his wing. Hide me under the shadow of your wing. And uh, we also have a picture of this too. It's kind of funny. This one right here is a hen. You see the little chick right there? It's not a girl, it's a chick. It's a little chick. Can you see it? Yeah, you can see it, right? And so he's saying like, Lord, hide me there, you know? And, and so when I think of this, I'm like, well, this is cool. It's not just some general truth. It's a personal truth. Father God is kind of like a mother hen. Now, any, are there any mother hens here? 
today instead of curiosity. <laughs> You're like, well, what is a mother hen? Well, a mother hen is someone who goes beyond caring. They're accused sometimes of being overprotective, leaning to a life of intervening. And he's saying, Lord, Father God, kind of like, will you be my mother hen? And they may accuse you of being overprotective, but I know you're not. Lord, you see what's going on. Intervene. Intervene in my life. Encourage me. Strengthen me. Change me. I need you. And so, you know, it's cool that we can pray these things and and it means so much. And and even, I think, more. You know, in verse 9, notice what he says right here. He says, "From from the wicked who oppress me, from my deadly enemies who surround me. And, and, and when you look at this verse, you realize, you know, this is not a game. I mean, this is my deadly enemies. I mean, this is really a matter of life and death. You know, the wicked, our enemies, uh, someone who's actively and aggressively opposing us. If you're here today and you think you have no enemies, then, you know, the devil has you right where he wants you to be, man. One of the things I noticed about this psalm, and again, there's a lot here, you know, praying, obeying. Um, but also the way that David is aware of the devices of the devil. And you're going to see it as we go through here, right? I mean, David speaks right here of of oppression from the wicked who oppress me. Now, that's a very important word for us. Oppression is defined as prolonged cruel control or unjust treatment. Mental pressure or distress and anguish. You know, even though David was doing the right thing, he was still suffering. And what we find as Christians today is the devil can't possess, but he can and does oppress. And so here's David praying for help in a situation like this. Sometimes God's people are allowed to suffer oppression, but but God sees it. And I want you to know that if you're here and you're suffering from oppression, because I know I've suffered from it for seasons of my life, I want you to know it's only for a season and God sees. There's a beautiful passage in Exodus chapter 3 in verse 7. It says, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people. And then he goes on to say, And I have come down to deliver them. We might go through it for a season. But like we read in Romans, it's only for a season. David, hang on, man. Hold to your integrity. In 13 years, you will be king. But along the way, there's a lot of tests, right? And we've got to keep our eyes on the Lord. Verse 10, it says, They have closed up their fat hearts. With their mouths, they speak proudly. So this is the first mention of bad cholesterol in the Bible, just in case you guys... <laughs> No, actually, you guys know how the fat hearts, they speak of closed hearts. They're concrete hearts. They're hard hearts. You know, Saul had that. And there are people out there, aren't they? They, And they they speak so arrogantly, so pridefully. Notice what it says right there. They have closed up their fat hearts with their mouths. They speak proudly. And, And why do they speak so proudly? 
Why? You want to know why? You want to know why? It's because they want to make you afraid. And that's what we see when we read the Bible, like when the children of Israel were surrounded by the Assyrian army. And then the the leader came and he started talking smack and he was just trying to tell, you know, everybody that they, they, you you can't trust in the Lord. This guy Hezekiah is trying to make you trust in the Lord. You think it's all going to work out? Give me a break. It's never worked out for any of those other gods out there. And so, you know, speaking lies to strike fear in God's people. And here's another thing that will get in the way of our calling and destiny in life. And that is fear. Fear and faith, they don't go hand in hand. They're mutually exclusive. And so, you know, what does the Bible say? Jesus says, do not be afraid, only believe. You know, sometimes you see the guys in the boxing match and the MMA or whatever, and they're talking, you know, like crazy. I don't know if they do it for show. Maybe it's partly for show, huh? But I think part of it, too, is to get in someone's head, right? And that's what the devil tries to do. But you want to know something? You don't have to be afraid because God really does love you. He really is with you. He really is. There is nothing to be afraid of except him. Only fear God, but in a healthy way. We can live our life with a reckless abandon to pursue the will of God. And we have nothing to be afraid of. See, but the enemy tries to strike fear, right? You know, look at verse 11. They have now surrounded us in our steps. They have set their eyes crouching down to the earth. And it's interesting how in in verse 9, if you you notice there, you know, he he surrounded me, but here he's saying it surrounds us. And, And don't miss that. Because, you know, he surrounds you individually, but he surrounds, you know, you and that affects, you know, your family that affects the ministry that affects the community that affects society. I mean, if he could get David, then he can get Israel. See, there's an aspect of him surrounding me, but don't lose sight of the fact that that affects everyone around you, too. And in verse 12, it says, As a lion is eager to tear his prey, and like a young lion lurking in secret places. And what do we see there? A young lion lurking is, you know, this is a sneaky thing, right? I mean, the devil, um, he's, he's sneaky, and he's going to try to catch and, and then kill. Of course, we know the passage in 1 Peter 5, 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So don't let that be you. David prays in verse 13, Arise, O Lord, confront him, cast him down, deliver my life from the wicked with your sword. Or I'll do my, I'll do my part, uh, you know, and I'll try to, you know, be a man of integrity and I'll make sure that I keep away from those paths of, of wickedness and worldliness. And, and Lord, I'll pray. But, but Lord, I can only do so much. I mean, I, I can, you know, whatever, break up the fallow ground and, and I can put a seed in there and I can pat that dirt back on top and I can water it. But only God 
can give it life. And we do our part, right? And, and, then, and then God does his. He says, arise, O Lord. You get him. You confront him. You cast him down. Deliver my life from the wicked one with your sword. You know, when I look at this, I, I, three, I see three things. Number one, prayer. Number two, the spirit of God. You know, there's a really cool story in, in uh, um, this, the, the book of Judges. You guys remember Samson when the lion came? Remember what Samson did? He tore the lion apart. Isn't that cool? You guys can do that. <laughs> Try it. I'm just, I mean, but spiritually speaking, you know, that's the spirit of God. When the spirit of God came on him. So praying the spirit of God and then the word of God. Did you notice it says right there? With your sword. This is how we win. The Bible. You know, when we see God working, it's amazing. In verse 14, and let's close with these last two verses. With your hand from men, O Lord, from men of the world who have their portion in this life and whose belly you fill with your hidden treasure, they are satisfied with children and leave the rest of their possessions for their babes. As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. You know, David here closes with a clear contrast between himself and the men of the world. And basically what we find in the, the men of the world are possessed by their possessions. Their portion is on this planet. It's all about this life on this side of time. They get rich, what he's saying right here. And they leave their riches for their children to gorge themselves in. So that's what Saul's all about. That's what, you know, that side is, is all about. You know, and, and I was thinking about a song by Lecrae. And again, I hope Lecrae stays on track. So please don't, no, you shouldn't quote Lecrae. But, but back then he wrote a cool song, okay? Let me read it to you. And I'm going to try my hardest to read it without rapping it. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't matter. The main thing is that it rhymes, okay? <laughs> but, you know, I listen to this song at least three times a week. It says, um, you're trying to figure what to do with your life. If you make a lot of money, hope you're doing it right. Because the money is God's, you better steward it right. And stay focused. You ain't got no right. Your life ain't wrapped up in what you drive, the clothes you wear, the job you work, the color of your skin. Now you're Christian first. People get to living for a job, make a little money, start living for a car, get them a wife, house, kids, and a dog. Then they retire, they're living high on the hog. But guess what? They didn't ever really live at all to live as Christ. That's Paul, I recall. To die is gain, so for Christ we give it all. He's the treasure you'll never find in a mall. And that's, I'll stop there because I, I don't want to impress you guys. No, it's not. Ra- no, I'm not rapping. I'm just reading. <laughs> At the end here, what does he say? As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I mean, my portion is not on this planet. At the end of the day, what's it all about, you guys? One day, it says right there, one day, David says, I will see him. One day, I will be with him. One day, I will be like him. And that is my satisfaction. I pray that we would have that excitement, that heart. You know, I mean, praise God, you know, that we get a calling in life and a commission in life. And 
I believe that God has, has dreams for us and desires for us and a destiny for us. But at the end of the day, to me, it's super awesome to think that one day, you know, I'll be home. And we don't know, you know, I'll share this with you guys real quick in closing because, you know, the, the word is out. You know, the, the brother that, that, that died, he's a, a dear brother of mine, man. And he would come to the church and I, I remember, I still remember the last time I saw him back there. I gave him a big hug, you know, but, but he was in his car. He was just in his car one day over in Montebello and, uh, and he got shot. He was in the wrong place. At the wrong time, he didn't know that that would be his last day on planet Earth. You know? And I I just thank God, you know, that he's a Christian. I know he's in glory. But when you start hearing these stories, and lately I've been been hearing a lot of people passing. You know, I was talking to Henry today. I said, man, we really got to make sure that we live our life with that understanding that we don't know if we have tomorrow. And so um, make sure, man, that you've given your life to Christ and, you know, you give your kids a big hug before you go to bed. And even if they don't want it, it's okay. You know, just do it anyways, man. <laughs> and, uh, and we live life with no woulda, coulda, shouldas, man. There's a lot here. I pray you guys would just maybe go home and read it and ask God to put it in your heart.